woman at the well. So a lot of tonight, uh, the, the sermon, Mark Cahill and uh, Ray Comfort, there are a couple of evangelists that shaped me a lot when I was just starting off in school. And so a lot of tonight's talk is going to be shaped by those guys if you've re- read or listened to anything by them. But I think it was so formative because as I was reading about these guys and their evangelists and they're talking like, this is how you evangelize. So they're talking about like the delivery, but as they're going through like the delivery, the content to me, it was like, huh, I actually have that question, you know? And so I was learning from the content as well as delivery. As we talk about it tonight, we're going to talk about evangelism. Some of you like mature believers that are way beyond where I was when I went to school, hopefully you are learning like the delivery, but some in this crowd, you might be like, actually, I have that same question that's in the text. And hopefully the what is just as informative to you. And so Hopefully we catch everybody on the spectrum, but here, if you're taking notes, I want you to note the first thing from our narrative that Jesus does when it comes to evangelism, the first thing is relates. If you're taking notes, just write relate. He just hanging out by the well, up comes, relates to her. He just hanging out by the well, up comes this woman, it's about noon, and he just says uh, to the Samaritan woman in verse seven, hey, can you give me a drink? He just the first speaks to this woman in the natural. It was a very natural topic, right? As they're sitting by a well that has water, he said, let's talk about water. And so they start their discussion about water, okay? If we're going to share Jesus with people, one of the first things we need to ought to be able to do, Christian, is just to relate to people. Does that make sense? Can we just relate? Uh, pastor friend said it to me like this. He's like, Christians, we are already weird. We don't need to be any weirder in how we interact with people. We're already weird in the sense, and I get like the world looks at us as a little bit weird. It's like, wait, you worship a resurrected Savior and your world revolves around actually life after death. And Does that make sense? The world doesn't know what to do with you. No need to be any more awkward as a Christian in how we interact with people. It's fair, okay? So can we just relate? Can we just have a discussion? Uh, be it the weather, be it you know football, be it fashion, be it college major. Can we just relate to people? That's the first thing so we can get into conversation with them. Because Jesus, he doesn't just start with like the whole living water thing. Like, hey, you ever heard of living water? And she'd be like, okay, different well, right? Like he just relates to her right there. And so they just start talking. And I think, man, we, we've got to take a cue from Jesus who doesn't, this is a biblical concept. Paul would tell the Corinthians, he'd say, this is a biblical concept. Paul would tell the Corinthians, he'd say, listen, Corinthians, to the weak, I became weak. He saw 1 Corinthians 9, 22. To the strong, I became strong. I become all things to all men. So Why? so that by all possible means, I might save some. It's just this idea of of finding common ground with people, showing them like, hey, I'm a human, we can talk. And so the first thing, you just relate on the natural. Now I would say, although sometimes I myself can be a little bit awkward, for the most part, I think we can relate to people, right? Relate, we got, you got that part down? Okay, so if you can relate, you already started the witnessing process with somebody. You're already heading in the right direction. The next thing we see Jesus do is create. He goes from relating to creating, and he's specifically, he's creating an opportunity to share about the supernatural. He creates this. 
And so Jesus deliberately mentions like the spiritual things. Verse 10, he said, well, if you knew the gift of, because she's like, well, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get water? He's like, you want to talk about water? Let me tell you about living water. Does that make sense? And so it's like, we go from the natural to all of a sudden like this supernatural living water that's welling up. See how Jesus like creates this opportunity. But let me say it like this. Going from the natural to the supernatural is rarely ever natural. Does that make sense? To make that segue rarely ever comes like smooth. Even with Jesus here, like the son of God, it's a little bit like whiplash. Does that make sense? Rarely ever natural. I mean, if you just, right? So it's rarely ever natural. I mean, if you're just relating to somebody like, hey, I like your sandals. You know who else has sandals? Jesus. Like, it's a little bit herky-jerky, but you got there, right? Like, trying to think of like a smooth, like, oh, you're the son of a Jewish carpenter. You know who else? Like, that would be a natural one, right? But rarely are we going to get like those super smooth, like right into supernatural. Because here's the thing. We worship a supernatural God. So, to get to the supernatural is hardly ever going to be like natural. And so sometimes you got to kind of push on it a little bit and find some courage and stop waiting. Because here's the thing. I find myself doing this. It's like, well, I'll just, everybody ever say, like, I'll just wait for an open door. Like when there's an open door, that's when I'll, that's when I know. Okay, those maybe come once or twice a year. And even then, I don't know about you, but somehow I find a way to like blow it, you know, like on those open door moments. And so if we wait for like the wide open door, I'll grant you those things happen where somebody just calls you up out of the blue and says, will you just please just tell me about Jesus? My life is broken and I feel like you know God and I want to know God, so just tell me. I mean, if you have that wide open door, praise God, take it, scrap everything from the talk tonight, just know that the Holy Spirit's handing you one and just go. But other times, I would say doors, they're unlocked. You might just have to like turn the handle and push a little bit. Does that make sense? And you see Jesus doing that here, like he's creating an opportunity. I'm not saying like a little bit of like a pushing on it, get down, but there is a little bit of like a pushing on it. Uh, and again, it's like, are you talking, like, are you an Arminianist or doctrine of election? I'm not getting into any of that. I just, I had a pastor friend, he's like, I don't know who God's elected. All I know is I just keep sharing with people and people I share with and offer an opportunity keep responding. So I don't know what to make of that. But it's just this idea of like pressing on it a little bit. And so Jesus creates that opportunity by talking about living water. And here's why, Christian, because if we believe the Bible is true, we have to understand that those that have not put their trust in Jesus will spend an eternity apart from him in hell. We, I mean, this is a weighty matter. People we know and love, those that you just spent the holidays with that perhaps don't know Jesus, if they don't know him in this life, they won't spend eternity with him in the next. And here's the thing. I have those people in my life and because for me, the fear of like, well, I don't want to make things awkward, that's the number one reason that prevents me from, from sharing with them. Is like, I don't, I don't want to make things awkward. Or in other words, I care about my image 
more than I actually care about people. And that's a, that's a hard thing to actually confess, but it's the reality. Like at the end of the day, I, can, I care more about being comfortable and not making things awkward rather than where they'll spend eternity. Man, I'm just grateful though that there's people even in this room that are pushing me. One of y'all went to campus last week and was like, you know what? I'm just going to invite a bunch of people to come to college ministry to hear about Jesus. And we push a little bit. We're saying we care about people's moments. Like when we step out and we push a little bit, we're saying we care about people more than our image, more than our status. And so to push on that a little bit, another one, just the idea of like pushing, the doors might not always be open. Some of us try the uh, friendship evangelism. Maybe you fall into this trap. I don't know if you, this is a movie from my era, so, so bear with me. Dumb and Dumber. Anybody? A few giggles. Some people have seen it. Yes. You, you're from my era, so that doesn't help. Okay. But Dumb and Dumber, there's like this whole thing where, where Lloyd and Harry are on a mission to return a briefcase full of money. Uh, I don't know if I can recommend it from a pulpit, but it's... <laughs> But at one point, the limo, it's a huge thing. And Lloyd is in love with this gal. He's the limo driver, uh, Lloyd Christmas, which fun fact, if he would have married Mary, her name would have been Mary Christmas. A uh, little Easter egg if you didn't catch that. Uh, but at one point, he's like going cross country to, to meet this woman. And they finally get to like the same area as her. And his buddy's like, hey, do you want to go meet her? And he's like, no, I'm just going to sit out here at the bar and just put out the vibe. And there's this scene that he's like in this orange suit. You know what I'm talking about? And Jim Carrey is just like posted up at the bar, like popping it out and just putting out the vibe for her. I feel like this is like the friendship evangelism method. Hear me out. Where we like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to drink. I'm, I'm going to not swear. I'm, not, I'm just going to put out the vibe. And somehow people are going to be able to deduct that they have a loving God who they've sinned and fallen short of his glory, that they need to believe him in his Lord, right? And, I, and, and believe him in his Lord, right? And I, they're going to get all that from the vibe, from friendship evangelism. Do you understand how ludicrous that is? Like words are absolutely necessary. And I'm not saying that a godly lifestyle isn't important, but to do this friendship evangelism, like we'll just put out the vibe and somehow they'll deduct all those things about the gospel. We, we, words are necessary. And so we got to create those opportunities to just have those conversations and to push through. How, one of the things is just asking people, <laughs> hey, have you ever thought about what happens after you die? If you're talking to going from like the natural found, that is one of the quickest questions and quickest ways I've ever found. And honestly, who hasn't thought of that question? Like people will actively try and not think of it, but they've thought like, oh yeah, I do kind of wonder what happens after you die. I mean, asking just questions like that. Hey, how does a person get to heaven? Hey, this whole celebration of Christmas, why is it a big deal that Jesus came? There's ways to just get there from the natural to the supernatural, but you got to create. And so we see Jesus, he creates that opportunity by talking about living water. So relate, create the next one. I mean, if you have a hard time creating, going to this next one, convict is a pretty big jump. So relate, create, convict. And we see Jesus allows conviction to come upon her when he says, oh, you want to know about this living water? Tell you what, go get your husband, 
come on back here. We'll tell you all about it. <laughs> and she goes, uh, I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband. You answered correctly. You're right. You don't have a husband for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. Can you imagine in that moment, that woman, like, no, again, note the interaction, even her veiled response. To be fair, okay, Jesus kind of responds. When, she, when Jesus said, hey, go call your husband, her veiled response, well, I don't have a husband. Isn't that how we sometimes respond, like when we're in sin? Like, hey, how's purity going in your relationship? Oh, you know, it, it's, it could be better, you know, but it's going Like these veiled responses we give, otherwise I would call him. Only a veiled response here, wow. I don't have a husband, otherwise I would call him. What you're not saying that Jesus is willing to say is you're right, because you're living in adultery. You have these men, you're not married to them, you're sleeping with a guy that's not your husband now. And so Jesus is all right to allow there to be a level of conviction. He's calling upon the, the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, that is sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse. That's what you're doing. And so he cuts right through that veiled response with the more accurate, Galatians says this about conviction and law. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Romans 3.19 says this about the law. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. God's law, you look at his Ten Commandments, you look at the law that's written on our hearts, right? We know, for the most part, no, killing somebody is not really messed up. Most people know killing somebody is not okay. It's written on our hearts. People, atheists, people that say there is no God have this law written on their hearts. These Ten Commandments, you just kind of walk through them. People, it doesn't matter where they're from, would walk in agreement. And so this law is there. And the purpose of the law, Scripture says, is to lead us to Jesus. Does that make sense? It's like, think of the law, think of the commandments as a, an x-ray machine. An x-ray doesn't fix your broken bones. It just reveals that your bones are broken, correct? Nobody gets an x-ray from the doctor's office. Please fix it. Right? Like starts rubbing it on their broken arm. It's like, please fix it, right? That's not the purpose of an x-ray. The purpose of the x-ray is to show what's broken. The purpose of God's law, these 10 commandments... They are to show like, uh, falling short. Like you start going through the Ten Commandments. Hey, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't have other gods. You should honor your parents. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't kill. Well, Jesus said, let's amp that up. You shouldn't actually even be angry in your heart. You shouldn't even look lustfully. You shouldn't covet. You start going through that. And when you get the law Man, if you're being honest, you go, and oh, I failed there, I failed there, I failed there. The law is doing its job. The, the, the purpose of the law wasn't to uphold it because no one can. No one is righteous, not even one. The purpose of the law is to have you go, oh, kind of stuck. Like if that's what God says, I've fallen short. Right, so the purpose of the law, say this, for by works, Romans 3.20, the very next verse would say this, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. It's through the law, though, 
becomes knowledge that we have sinned and fallen short. So when the law is brought to us, we say, oh, I feel conviction. Great. That's the law's job. Now Jesus gets to pick it up from there. Does that make sense? And so he refers to the law and he brings up adultery and says, hey, you're actually in adultery. And I believe for this woman, there's just this like, oh, this moment where it's like, yeah, that's true. I believe that this woman is lost on you. Even the fact, and I would have to believe that this woman is, is living with a level of guilt and shame. When you've slept with this many men, when you're sleeping with a guy that you're not married to, there's a reason it notes the time of day that she was coming to get water. The sixth hour would have been about noon. Most people in that culture, you're drawing your water in the morning so you can cook with it, clean with it, do all that stuff. She's going out in the heat of the day to draw water. Why? Nobody else is supposed to be there except this joker that's leaned up against the well wanting to talk about living water, right? Like that was not the normal thing. And so she feels likely a level of guilt, a level of shame. She doesn't want to be a part of this community. She's kind of drawing away, which is what sin does. It, there's this level of conviction. And I would say that's a gift from God that he's working on you. Man, I remember there was a day where I didn't struggle with pornography and masturbation. I just did it. Like I didn't feel any conviction. I remember the, I would say, the fact that you feel like, oh, this is, something is wrong. I would say the fact that you feel conviction or that somebody that you're talking with feels a level of conviction is evidence that God is working in them. It's a good thing. And so, so Jesus goes there and allows the law to bring about a level of conviction. And you see this woman, the guilt and shame that she has, even after Jesus talks about this, I love this. He's like, yeah, the, the, you know, you've had five husbands and the one you now have, he's not your husband. And she, her response, sir, I see you're a prophet. Now tell me this, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. The Jews say the, the, the place of, right? Where it's like the ultimate diversion, right? Where she's like, uh, let's talk about mountains. Like, let's not talk about who I'm sleeping with and my relationship status. And she just totally switches the subject, which again, I'd say is conviction coming upon her. What we see though, is that is the step of evangelism that Jesus relates to her, creates, allows conviction. Uh, and in doing so, in sharing uh, God's law with her, that brings it about. Now, here's where we sometimes can go wrong. This implies that you know God's law. This implies that like you can actually point people to Jesus and God's law. And sometimes we're not really great at this because we don't know our Bibles. And so what we say is like, hey, I don't know, but I don't believe you should be doing that. I don't think you should do that. What you have that, what we're doing is Christian when we say that, what we're doing is we're placing people under our judgment. This is why you hear people outside the church say Christians are judgmental. Probably because a lot of times we just don't know our Bibles. And so instead of referencing scripture, we just say, I think somewhere in the Bible it says this, but I'll just say, hey, I don't think you should be doing that. What we've done is we've placed ourselves as judge over them because we didn't know God's word and point them back to God and his word. We just said, I, hey, you have my disapproval. 
They're going to be judged in accordance to Christ, Acts 17.31 says. That's where we're going to be judged. And so pointing them back to God's law, back to Jesus for approval. And so not because they, did, they didn't meet your approval. And so Jesus points her back to the Ten Commandments, the seventh one specifically. And in doing this, I would say this. When we relate, we create, and there's a level of conviction. Because we pointed them back to God's law in how we do that, it might sting or hurt somebody a little bit, but it should not be damning, and it's actually the kindest thing we can do. Let me just give you a secular example. If David has something in his teeth, which you don't, okay? But if you had something in your teeth or something on your face, the meanest thing that I could do is let you walk around and socialize with all these people with some big thing hanging off your face, right? That's not kind. Now, I'm not saying, and David, you're probably a better man than I am, right? But when somebody's like, hey, Stan, you got a little something on your face, it stings a little bit. Like, I'm not mad at them, but I'm kind of mad at myself for being a slob and not like, check. I'm just saying, it stings, that makes sense. Maybe you're better than I, but I'm just saying, it stings a little bit when people point that out, when there is a level of conviction. But again, I'm not mad at them. I'm actually thankful, and it's the kindest thing that they could do. Similarly, though, when we're going to use the law, there needs to be a level of compassion in its kind. And we know that Jesus, he's compassionate. Last week we studied it. He knows us. He loves us. He knows this woman. He knows her situation. He knows and he sees the brokenness and the shame and longing. And so Jesus meets her there. And in pointing this out, he's loving her. She's, she's caught up with like, well, how do I have to not come back to this well? You have living water. Jesus is trying to freedom. It is way better. This freedom, and not from a daily walk to water, but freedom from the guilt of sin and shame. That's what Jesus is trying to reveal. And so conviction is a part of that process. And one where once Jesus enters in, there's a level of freedom and excitement, but it is a part of the process. When we skip over that, it just becomes the prosperity gospel. And it just becomes like, hey, you should just trust Jesus. And we never talk about sin. We never talk about brokenness. It, uh, this is a whole tangent, but let's just go there real quick. It's kind of like shortchanging it would, would, would kind of be like being on a, a plane that's destined to like break apart and, and giving somebody a parachute, but never telling them that part. Just like, here, here's a parachute. Put it on. Enjoy your flight. Right? That makes more sense. And you have a greater appreciation for the parachute when it's like, hey, this thing's going to break apart. I know it's going to be uncomfortable right now, uh, but trust me, you're going to be very thankful. No, Jesus, we want people to know, like, no, Jesus is not always going to be comfortable following him, but, but your sin has a cost. It needs to be paid for, and that's what Jesus has done. Sorry for that tangent, but you get the idea that the conviction is a part of it. And at this point in sharing the gospel, when you start pressing on some of those things, you can usually see how receptive somebody is. If they're argumentative, I would say pray for them, pray for their hearts, and trust them to God. But if they're left speechless, if they're like, oh, I have fallen short, the last step, relate, create, convict, is reveal. And Jesus reveals himself. And she says, man, one who's called Christ, Messiah coming, a Savior. One who's called Christ, when he comes, that's going to be, he's going to explain everything. 
And Jesus reveals and says, I am he. I'm the Messiah, the one speaking to you. And she trusts Jesus. And so he reveals himself. She was thirsty, pun intended, and, Jesus, and she believes. And then she goes and tells the whole town, and the whole town starts believing. They say there's people that are ready and receptive. God has been working on, and they just need somebody to share with them. Part of it, uh, when I was in college, got to do a summer missions trip to uh, a country, East Asia. I uh, can't say the name uh, publicly because it's, it's illegal to share the gospel there. But it's a, a large country in East Asia where a lot of your imported goods are from, right? And so it's illegal to go and share Jesus with people. However, was just out on basketball with these guys, sat down, talked to people, right? And so playing basketball with these guys, sat down, struck up a conversation just related to this guy, kind of created an opportunity uh, and started talking about Jesus. Within 30 minutes, we'd kind of gone through the gospel. There's a God who loves you. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you die, you'd spend an eternity apart from him. 30 minutes in, the guy's like, I totally believe that. I, I, and then I spent, <laughs> this might sound bad, I spent the next 15 minutes like trying to talk him out of it. It's like, I don't know if you want to trust the Lord. Like it could be pretty complicated in your situation. He's like, no, like I know I need Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Like I'm ready today and gets baptized publicly in this communist country. The guy goes and gets baptized publicly professing Jesus. Get a follow-up from the missionary later on. Hey, this guy is on fire for Jesus, leading others. Guys, side of a basketball court, water break, 30 minutes later, got a brother in Christ. Okay? There are people that are like ready. Then there's other people. That, so that, I would call that soft soil. People like you sow the seed and just like springs up, takes root. There's going to be people though that are harder soil. Remember going door to door in the dormitories at Iowa State, which again, probably not legal to do. But we just start knocking on doors. Me and a football buddy of mine, Taylor, we just start sharing Jesus. Now remember this, this is Taylor, one of his first times like kind of sharing the gospel knocking on the door, and I'm pretty sure it was some young guy, you know, gaming. He, had, he wanted nothing to do with the Lord. And my friend Taylor was not about that. <laughs> like, what? listen, like, you need Jesus, clearly. Like, what? You, like your life. Like, and, and I just remember, like, at one point, like, grabbing Taylor. He's a big guy, and I'm like, Taylor? You know, like, yelling at them is not going to soften the soil or help. But, but I understand Taylor's like, man, your life, the, the guilt, the shame, the, the emptiness you have apart from God, I want you to know. Again, I, I understand that. That's how the crusade started, unfortunately. But like, it's right heart, but there's going to be hard soil and yelling at the soil is not going to soften it up. Here's the thing that we're called for. When we relate, create, convict, reveal, any of the growth that happens, any time that somebody trusts Jesus, isn't a matter of like whether things good. Our response isn't a matter of like whether things grow or don't grow. Our response is, uh, we need to, I'll say it like this, we need to rest in obedience, not results. Results are from the Lord, right? Amen? What we're called to do is be obedient. So are you being obedient when it comes to sharing the gospel, sharing this faith? And we're saying this is the most important thing. It has bearing for all eternity. 
We need to just rest in obedience when it comes to sharing Jesus with others. And if anything grows or doesn't grow, that's, that's results, those are up to the Lord. Scripture would go on, he would say at the end of this very chapter, he would tell the disciples, they come back and they're just like all confused, like, hey, you should eat something. Jesus is like, man, I got food for days. <laughs> and, and they're like, what, did somebody give him some food? Again, Jesus is like working on a whole different spirit said uh, around him. And he goes on to explain. He said uh, in verse 35 uh, of John 4, do you not say there are four more months than there comes a harvest? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. He goes on to say, there's a saying that holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I'm telling you that there are people that have gone before you, perhaps with your classmate, that you know on a daily basis. And have been a part of that. Or an uncle that's been praying for them on a daily basis. And have been a part of that where, where somebody comes to know Jesus and somebody's like, I've prayed for them every day for the last 16 years. And like, I just bumped into them and shared Jesus. Like, you should probably get more credit than I do, right? Like, there's, we're all in this together. Are we willing to be obedient and to play our part? And again, there's rejoicing. These are eternal rewards. And so, have you responded personally and said, yeah, I've come to trust Jesus like the woman at the well. I believe and been baptized. I just want to mention it because I know this Sunday they're doing baptism here. And that throughout the book of Acts, you see people trust Jesus and then they get baptized. If you have not been baptized as a professing adult, I just want to give you that opportunity. Happy to talk to you uh, afterwards if, if that's you. But for all of us, I would say, man, we have to understand that there are quote unquote like thirsty people days People that are longing. The holidays, y'all, they bring some of the greatest longing because people say, man, I want family to meet that need or this is a time for engagements. I, I think and people put their trust in these other things and it comes to full fruition during this time where it's like, ah, it didn't meet the need that only Jesus could actually meet. I'm just saying there's thirsty people all around us. Your unbelieving family, classmates, people at work, you're going to encounter spiritually thirsty people on a daily basis. The hope is that after tonight, just you have one more kind of tool, relate to them, that you would be able to share with them. Just relate to them. Create an opportunity for spiritual conversation and let the Lord do what he wants to do. Maybe if you're like, well, this whole RCCR thing, I don't know about that. Just sharing your testimony. If you, if you need further equipping again this spring, we're going to do some of that. If you're like, man, this resonates and I want to do that, not only with my classmates, I, I would, we're doing a whole summer trip. If you're like, I'm not really great at evangelism, let us send you overseas for eight weeks to share with a couple hundred people and you'll get really good at it, right? That's something that we want to do and want to offer. There'll be an informational thing next week. But again, the, the reality is this. We have a hope in Jesus, eternal life. And 
Because of that, there's a joy that should be welling up that we just want to share with people and invite them into that relationship. And I hope that, that as we kind of just close, Taylor just kind of leads us in worship. And I'm not I want you to ask the, the question like, where are you at? And I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but it's like, is that true? Like, is that true of you where you're like, man, I really, I want to share Jesus. And, and maybe this is the Holy Spirit kind of prompting me now, but maybe just ask, what's the barrier? Because for me to just browbeat and like, you should go share, but it's like, maybe what is it that, that's causing you to not want to overflow with sharing? And maybe if you're being honest, you're like, well, I don't trust God's goodness because he hasn't done this for me. Or maybe you're like, I, I don't share because I'm concerned about my reputation. Would you just be able to now, as we kind of like, Taylor gets ready to lead us, barrier that's keeping you from sharing? If there's any barrier that's keeping you from sharing, does that make sense? So, so let's just bow our heads as, as we get ready to, to sing. But Holy Spirit, we just invite you would you just kind of show us if there's any blockage in our thinking that prevents us from being bold with the hope of the gospel? Lord, would you just reveal that to us even now? If it's fear of man, if it's equipping, if it's our status, if, Lord, what is it? If God puts that on her heart, would you just even just pray it back under your breath and just say, Lord, forgive me for fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Would you just name it? I think that's one of the things that Satan would hate for you to do right now is just name it. What keeps you from being bold with your faith? Just go ahead and name it. And now, just even in a spirit of prayer, would you just ask the Lord to kind of overcome it? Lord, would you overcome whatever that is? Just go ahead and ask the Lord to meet you in that, to overcome. In this understanding that the no, and we can kind of rest in this understanding that the no one seeks after you, not one, but God, you seek after us and you hunt us down and you pursue us. And Lord, we are so thankful for your grace. And we're so thankful for those that have boldly gone before and shared. And Lord, we're thankful that you invite us to be a part of that and just pray in advance for those that we engage with the good news of the gospel. Lord, we just cling to the promise that you will, in that time, give us words to speak. And God, would you just embolden us? And would the joy truly be ours as we step out and we get to share about the hope we have? God, would you allow there to just be a flood of joy as we perhaps see brothers and sisters come to trust you? And Lord, even now, just lift up from, what, 15 years ago, that brother in China God, just pray that you would 
just planted new movements from, from the, the gospel seeds that have been planted by godly aunts and uncles, by godly parents, by godly missionaries that have gone before. God, would you allow those seeds in this time to spring up, spring up in our city, spring up on our campuses and at our work? God, would you allow those gospel seeds to spring up into people who know and love you? And so that's our prayer. God, as the gospel would go forth and you would add to this community, not even just this immediate community, but the greater community of saints. God, would you grow the number of worshipers? That's our prayer. And we just pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.